Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today, we are talking about Contact, the 1997 film directed by Robert Zemeckis, screenplay by James V. Hart and Michael Goldenberg. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayeros. Hi. All right. So Contact is one of my favorite movies and I love it. <laughs> I It's one of these movies that I remember going to the theater, like sitting in the theater next to my dad as a kid when it came out and just being like blown away by the whole experience of it. And then watching it again and again as I got older and appreciating it uh, in more and deeper ways. Uh, and I hadn't seen it probably in six, seven years, uh, and revisiting it. I was just, I still love it. There's just so much, there's just so much that I love about this movie and, uh, the themes of, you know, science versus religion, or even just like science versus like being human. Like, I feel like it dramatizes so many of these, like, you know, thoughts and feelings that I have. The filmmaking is great. I feel like this is Robert Zemeckis at some of his best. There are just some sequences that are so tense or so emotional. The design of the protagonist is great. Like Jodie Foster is just a gift and I love her to death. Uh, and like Ellie and this character is maybe my all time hero. I don't know. I just I love it. The antagonist, uh, you just hate him so much. Like there's just a very visceral <laughs> reaction that I have to all these pieces of this movie. Um, and yeah, I think there's just some really cool design stuff, both in the filmmaking and the writing that makes me uh, love this movie. And I can't wait to get into it with all of you. Um, and there's theme. I feel like maybe this was the first movie that I was like, I think they're trying to say something here. And in my, so in my brain, I was like, yeah, it's one of those movies where like, if you think really hard, you can like detect the theme. Mm-hmm. Watching it this time, I was like, they have a mega, like they're yelling the theme at you constantly. Um, Trisha, what are your thoughts on this movie theme and otherwise? Yeah, I love Contact. Um, I love the score for some reason. Like the score. It's a great is, score. It is. I've talked before about my uh, CD that I had of like Silvestri scores that went with Robert Zemeckis movies. It was like, anyway, uh, but Contact is a beautiful score and it does so much to to like bring out the themes and like explore the character's journey. And um, it's just so lovely, but yeah, this is a, this is like my kind of sci-fi movie where it really is more interested in like the human heart, uh, you know, and our relationship to like science fiction ideas rather than trying to do something, you know, spectacular necessarily like even though there are some really visual moments they and very cinematic and spectacular moments they always feel like they're in service of this like really personal story and this really human story right because that's kind of the theme is about you know what are we as humans like what are we supposed to do with things that we don't understand and like is science enough does it answer everything like what are we supposed to do about all the questions we have. Um, anyway, it's, and so I just, this is exactly like what I wish science fiction movies would all kind of be. Um, 
not to not to throw shade on like sci-fi is like often action or it's often horror or it's often other genres, but there's something very pure about this as like this sci-fi drama that puts the drama forward in the film. And so I just, yeah, I just really, I don't know. It's just one of those, one of those movies that feels like quiet, but powerful. And it, it has this like lasting, um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's so rewarding to continue to think about and think about because every scene is doing theme and every scene is doing like character stuff. And it has a structure that's a little bit unconventional. Like it covers a lot of time. There's these huge gaps in time, which feel like, well, how do we, you know, stay hooked into the character, but the movie just pulls it off really spectacularly there. I think watching it, rewatching it now, I noticed a few bumps, um, uh, here and there, just in terms of like character or dialogue or, or, you know, some of the structural things or, you know, some of the special effects, there are some things that kind of shake you out of it here and there. Um, so I'm not sure I'd say it's a perfect movie. Um, but I just, it, I don't know. It just kind of like grabs hold of a little place in your heart and doesn't let go of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's, it's somehow both epic and telling this sweeping story about humanity and, and yeah science fiction and all these things but as you're saying it's also like intimate and personal and never like let's go of of that heart as you're saying um brian what are your thoughts on this movie when did you see it yeah um I'll, just to piggyback off that real quick like zemeckis has this sort of unabashedness about his filmmaking right whether it's back to the future mm -hmm. or um forrest gump or contact where it's just sort of like i'm not afraid to just be positive and you know and have that 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 sort of like positive energy and kind of a i don't know what the word but like like a fluffiness but that doesn't feel saccharine you know and uh but yeah i saw this movie back in probably the early aughts and loved it and bought the the digital versatile disc look it up kids um and uh but i had not seen it in quite a while um so i it was really great to revisit it not remembering some of the broad strokes so when certain plot points happened i was like "Ooh, okay i did not remember that i remembered like the the very very broad strokes of the movie and also only remembering like a third of the cast or something you know i remembered yeah. David Morse, because he's in 12 Monkeys and he's a Philadelphia guy. So when I was in uh, in college, he like came and spoke to our theater department and everyone had a guest spot on his show hack that was on at the time. Um, and uh, then Jake Busey, I just remember like when I think of Jake Busey, I'm like, oh, yeah, the crazy guy from Contact. Also, you know, another Busey. But uh, <laughs> so I remember <laughs> them very well. But I did not remember Angela Bassett, Jenna Maloney, John Hurt, Tom Skerritt, Rob Lowe. Like some of these are people who wouldn't really have much of a career until later. And some of them already did. I just maybe didn't know them at the time or I didn't remember they were in the movie. Um, so yeah, really fun to revisit it and think about all the stuff you guys are talking about the theme and and just everything this movie has to offer. Yeah. John Hurt's uh Want to take a ride? Like it's like seared <laughs> into my brain. Yeah. It's just He's like amazing. that moment is like yeah. such a great moment. Oh, like the music mm -hmm. and his delivery. Like yeah, it's just one of those 
perfect movie Cinema. moments. Yeah, we yeah. definitely need to get back to that character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> the parts that are bumpy for me <laughs> are I right. can't even imagine what you could possibly be. The slideshow of her life he has ready for her. When right. She right. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> buy that. Actually, we'll get to that. We'll get, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, but yeah. So first, Alex, tell me about contact. So it's really interesting because you know you're talking Trisha about this type of sci-fi drama where the drama is is what matters and the characters and their thematic journey are what matters kind of like a rival and and i think yes. a lot of yes. my favorite sci-fi movies as an adult are that and you know rivals one of my favorite films of recent years and when i saw this movie though i was like I was still young enough that I was like, Independence Day is like what I want for my alien movies. <laughs> so I went to this movie, you know, with the wrong expectations, thinking like eventually she's going to go in the spaceship and she's going to meet the aliens or like the aliens are going to come to Earth or like there is the kid expectation of what you want from the movie trailer that shows Jodie Foster, like getting a message from aliens, building a ship to go visit the aliens, like the, totally the wrong frame for this movie but that's what i brought at whatever age i was in 1997 and so when i first saw this movie i did like it and i watched it a bunch and and watched it over and over again over the years but i was a very like let down on my first viewing because you know to arrive and then for it to be like it's like a weird cg beach and like oh my god the alien shape is approaching her dad and it's just gonna be like (laughs) her and her dead dad talking and then she's just gonna go back and you know none of the thematic stuff and like the implications and you know the final scenes mattered to me at that point i was just i was just like what that was it like like my alien movie didn't give me the aliens uh so it, it was funny to think back how like this wasn't instantly one of my favorite movies because i was wanting a different movie at that age and at the maturity i was and at the level of thematic you know, understanding that I had, um, Trisha. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to validate you and say that you are not the only person in 1997 right, who right. wanted more independence day and not <laughs> <Right>. contact. <laughs> right. There was plenty, you know, 97, as we talked about, there was plenty, you could go get your event horizon or your starship troopers, your fifth right. element. So contact oh, yeah. was allowed to be the, the prestige. Right. There was a lot of sci-fi back then and not, much of it was kind of contact oriented. And so when, you know, I I was going back and reading a bunch of reviews of contact when it first came out and every single one of them mentions independence day. Mm. And some Mm. of them are like, bummer, this isn't independence day. And some of them were like, thank (laughs) God this is independence day. Uh, But you know, that was such a huge movie that came out. That was like the high watermark for like sci-fi action, huge blockbuster thing. And so kind of the comparisons were inescapable. It's, it's just an interesting, um, sort of expectation thing that happens with a lot of these movies that that do end up being the like Oscar movies and stuff, whether it's Casino Royale or No Country for Old Men or Contact. It's like I went in expecting this thing and I didn't get that thing. So like that movie sucks. Right. And then it's like, oh, no, no, that movie knew you wanted that. And it did like it took the high road kind of, you know, because I was thinking, Michael, when you talked about seeing Casino Royale for the first time, it sounded like what Alex was just saying about contact was like, this isn't what I want from what I expected. So therefore movie bad. Right. And then you go back and revisit it. And you're like, oh, no, no, I, I just didn't. I just was expecting the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. But but I will say, even at the time, 
like this movie also does do a lot of the sci-fi stuff I was wanting. Mm. You know, like the discovery scene when they first hear the signal is yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like like that is that does rival anything from Independence Day as far as just like the build up in that movie and you know the, even the sound design of the signal mm-hmm. is so good. So cool. Um you know the sequence where Jodie Foster's getting into the craft and like the okay to go like mm-hmm. that is up there with any like sci Fi launch sequence ever. Uh, so, so even disappointed kid me still was delighted by a lot of this movie, but just didn't understand what Matthew McConaughey was doing here. Who is he? He's a priest. What? Like, mm-hmm. what are they talking about? Like, what? At the end, they they know about the static, and why isn't that news? Like, I don't understand this. You know, like not understanding any subtext. Um, so anyway, so it, it was really nice to revisit it. As an adult who like understands subtext and why adults do certain things and themes. <laughs> and uh, it was really it was just like, yeah, it confirmed that it is a just a wonderful, wonderful movie that I really love and is is the kind of sci fi like if this movie came out today, there'd be some like probably up updates to some of it, you know, to less 90s feeling. But uh, but this would be top tier sci fi for me today mm-hmm. because I am interested in these adults existential themes and and i think it's this movie just like arrival brilliantly uses a sci-fi conceit to explore just a deeply deeply emotional human existential theme and that's that's my jam now so yeah adult me is very happy yeah i was thinking about arrival while watching this and it's interesting because both movies use a lot of restraint in terms of what you could do you know and the big difference is arrival like they get there's aliens right away. Right. And like, that's, that just happens, but then there's not much movement between the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie in terms of like, there's still just like, there's aliens behind some glass. Right. And like, there are plot <laughs> right. points and, and things are progressing obviously, but there's not a bunch of like, and then this crazy thing happens and contact is similar, but with us not getting to the aliens until the end, but we get, all of these little, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about Lost a few weeks ago. Just like we get these little like, ooh, what was that? I have a question. Ooh, there was an answer. But now I have another question, right? And you kind of, it just escalates and escalates. But it really does this work, this character work and this sci-fi world building work where you always feel like you're getting another piece of the puzzle and you're really excited. Even though it's like there's a noise or like there's a video or whatever. Like there's these tiny little things happening. But then you get this just beautiful payoff in the finale where it all feels earned because the movie did the work to get you there. But also there have been these little peaks and valleys. And then there's just this huge peak throughout that whole sequence. Um, and then obviously getting to the to the beach scene and everything. So I, I really like the the pacing and the dynamics this, and the, the restraint that this movie shows. Yeah. Well, and yeah, to your point, it, it takes such care in the beginning to set up the stakes and set up the characters. You know, we see young Ellie, so we understand, like, her whole backstory, and she meets Matthew McConaughey's character, and they have their little, like, fling romance, and they get to talk about theme while, like, mm-hmm. lying in bed and being all, like, you know. Uh, and we see uh, Drumlin, and we get, like, exposition from William Fickner's character about, like, the backstory between... Ellie and Drumlin and we see Drumlin be a dick and and so there's there's so much that we understand about the characters 
uh, and their relationships to each other and like how passionately Ellie feels about this thing and how she's willing to risk her career to do it. So like by the time they're discovering the signal, we have all of the dramatic uh, exposition that we need to understand how important it is. And then it just and the filmmaking just masterfully builds it like up and up. And uh, it's, it's just, small moves, Ellie, small moves. Uh, it's so good. It's mm-hmm. So good. There's so many uh, like uh, interesting oneers and camera moves during yeah. that sequence. I was thinking we were just talking about Star Trek a few weeks ago, and so kind of J.J. Abrams does a lot of this kind of crazy oneer stuff where the camera goes here, and then we spin over there, and it's this felt like a like a more elegant version of that where it's still giving energy, but it it feels like very connected to the emotion of every moment like it's not just moving to move but that there's mm-hmm. conveying the energy of the like the subjective energy that you're the characters are experiencing within the frame by the way you're moving the camera well i remember when we were talking about what lies beneath and how zemeckis like loves to move the camera in ways that are impossible right and so then he like uses digital um like effects to basically like, you know, or visual effects to kind of like trick you to thinking you're watching a one but it's not a one because we're like, and what lies beneath, we're like under the floor. But then there's also stuff where like they've built the set so you can't actually drop the camera down and then it's like stitched together or whatever. And I feel like you really see some of those like really interestingly envisioned shots here that don't necessarily call attention to themselves because they're again that locked into the emotion and the momentum of what's happening that you're just with the character and you don't even realize there hasn't been a cut. So obviously we can talk about the mirror shot, which is just like the first time you see it just makes you sit bolt upright (laughs) and just, it's such an amazing uh, effect. But the scene that you guys are talking about where she's hearing the signal, she's in the car, right? She's out at the very large array. She's lying on the hood of the car. She's listening on her headphones. She starts to hear the signal. And then she like jumps into the car. She's like speeding along. The camera is following her. It's uh, like the way that that in itself is shot. But when she gets to the center, she jumps out of the car. She runs and she comes up the stairs. We're following around behind her. Like then we're into the room following behind her still. It's incredible the way that that's put together. And again, like, I didn't notice it. I've seen this movie I don't know how many times. And I didn't notice that that was an amazing one until I watched it this time around. And I was like, wow, we yes. haven't even cut the camera. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, and right before the mirror shot, the famous shot where, yeah, it's Jenna Malone, Maloney. Uh, oh, yeah, thank you. Running up the stairs and, and to get the medicine for her father. And then the camera pulls out from that steady cam shot and it was actually through the mirror that like it's crazy and it's cool and it does call attention to itself shortly before there's a scene where her dad is like reading her or like tucking her in basically and she's doing that thing mm, of like could yeah. we reach this place could we reach that place and the camera starts outside uh the house up above and goes down and then just kind of like quietly passes through the window and like goes inside mm-hmm. and it's like so subtle and like is it the first time anyone has ever used cgi windows to fly through like maybe like this movie was panic room before it was cool and like Mm. the jodie foster (laughs) way also um but yeah just like everything like you're saying trisha like they're 
ways that it doesn't call attention to itself that just captures the emotion and like tempo of what's happening in a really elegant and effective way. Yes. This episode of Beyond the Screenplay is sponsored by MUBI, the curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Right now, MUBI is doing their Cannes Takeover, featuring some of their favorite films from past editions of the Cannes Film Festival. You can watch the 2021 film Deception, starring Leia Seydoux, the 2012 Jeff Nichols film Mud, starring Reese Witherspoon, Matthew McConaughey, Michael Shannon, and Sarah Paulson, and even the 1926 classic The General, starring Buster Keaton. That's the one where he's on the front of the train using the huge wooden planks to clear the path on the tracks. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. To try Mubi for free for 30 days, simply click the link in the show notes. Or, if you're watching on YouTube, click the pop-up in the top right of the screen. Or, simply head to Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Also, what I think works so well about, especially the long takes that I I was for the first time aware of in the discovery of the signal scene, is just how packed they are with you know dialogue and information. So it's not, it's always annoying when you're watching an otherwise impressive long take, but there's like downtime where it's like, well, right. we like it's going to take this much time to get up the stairs. So part of this is going to be kind of boring. We're committing to the long take, but like nothing's going to happen for a while because we got to like get from A to B. And I feel like Jodie Foster's performance and just the amount of like commitment she has to like, this is the moment she's been waiting for, for like how many years, like they cannot screw this up. She has so much she's trying to communicate through her walkie talkie or her cell phone or whatever. And it just it just makes it so riveting to watch her go up the stairs because <laughs> because mm-hmm. you, you just feel from her. This is that moment and she can't mess it up. And she has so much like that needs to happen right now. And she can't say it all fast enough. And it's just it's just so compelling to watch that performance. And I just love watching her in this movie because she embodies this. Yeah, this scientist archetype so well and just somebody who's just so dedicated to their pursuit and and so believably enthusiastic about it when a breakthrough happens or a turn happens uh, in a way that doesn't serve for well in politics. You know, mm. like she is she is too pure a scientist for this world. Um, and I just I just love watching her in this movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She, she has a lot of there's a lot of dimensionality in this character and in her performance. You know, I was thinking like, I I can't remember the last time I've seen Jodie Foster just be like cute and vulnerable, you know, like it's in those early scenes, basically, because it's like I'm, we're so used to her being like badass in a pantsuit. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, but like she she does all of that. You know, she she has she's very vulnerable with uh, with Palmer. Um, and then she's obviously like so driven and intelligent in her work. But then she gets to be kind of, you know, the badass putting her foot down at times too. And it's just like, yeah, she's just one of those performers who can do it all. And this movie really has her do it all. Yeah. And uh, returning really quickly to those long takes, I was thinking that they are all like each of those long takes, the ones that follow her, the ones that pull back and stuff are kind of echoing the opening sequence of this, which is that like three minute long 
computer generated, like zoom out. Right. And it's that sequence in itself, like does such important framework for this movie where it's like, here's the earth. And then like, we're hearing all the radio and like every, you know, I did not remember <laughs> Spice Girls being in this movie. Yeah. yeah Spice Girls. <laughs> that that um, places it in a moment in time yeah. right there. I think it's such an important way to open this movie because it sets up the radio connection, right? It's like mm-hmm. what we hear is who we are mm-hmm. in so many ways or like what we broadcast, we as humans, what we broadcast is our culture. It's who we are. And so like, and then as we pull back and pull back and pull back and then like out to the nebula and like we're going back in time and then we hear like, and then more and more like static and then we're out and it's quiet and it's absolutely quiet and then eventually we're pulling out of her eye right and then it's like it resolves and we realize that we're inside of the character it's just so important for us to like understand how to watch this movie where it's like this is about themes (laughs) there will be some sci-fi stuff there will be radio there will be space there will be whatever but really we will be inside the journey of this character Mm. and so i think that those I think anytime we realize that like, oh, we're zooming around in the camera, we're pulling away from something, we're moving towards something. Again, we're conveying that sense of um, almost like a reminder of the smallness of who she is and yet the intimacy that we're invited into in this movie of like sitting with this character and her journey. Um, Because that's what it's kind of holding, right? Is like, we are small and insignificant, but we are also not alone. And there's an intimacy to our like tiny insignificance here. Um, And so the, the opening sequence conveys that and all the rest of the camera moves kind of harken back to it in some ways. And yeah, what you guys are saying about Jodie Foster is dead on true. I love her face where, she has this face that she makes a lot in a lot of movies because she's often put in situations like this. But it's her, I am in some intense situation, but I am holding it together. And like, <laughs> she's really good at that. Yeah. She's so good at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, yeah, again, I think like Brian, you were saying just the, the range of emotions that she has to do and hold and how committed she is yeah once she's in the spaceship and talking to the father and you know they should have sent a poet like all of those things like if you're also this is a weird tangent but i guess on tv they used to broadcast like roasts of celebrities and i guess i watched them because i remember watching like tuning in and it was like a celebrity like roast slash celebration of jodie foster happening and I was watching. Is that an MTV? Maybe like, I or Comedy Central. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. But yeah. but I have this very vivid, for some reason, memory of David Hyde Pierce uh, going through different Jodie Foster performances and like making fun of them. Like they would play a clip, and then he'd like have some joke about it, and then they played the clip uh, from the end of this movie where she's just like touching like nothing, right? She's in front of a blue screen and just like, but she's, you know she's arrived at this place where she's finally touching this place that she's wanted to get to. And her father, like all that stuff is there. And David Hyde Pierce being like, you know, I had a joke, but I'm not, I'm, I can't make a joke after that. It was just too good. And I was like, yeah, like she is just, she's that good. Uh, yeah. And just like her, the, the final moment in, in that hearing inquiry 
where she it's such a like a hero moment where confronted with all this evidence right and kids is being like what can you honestly say that you wouldn't be thinking the same things that we are and blah 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 and she's able to be like like yes i admit that i admit that this sounds crazy like as a scientist i have to off like that's just mm. such a like yeah like i said a hero moment for me and she just delivers integrity. It. yes like extreme integrity yeah. but she's also yeah. holding the but this thing happened and i have this emotional religious spiritual experience that i wish i could share with everyone and that continues to be my wish i don't know that whole ending thing is just the content of it and her performance of it like speaks to me and it's just so good thank you jody foster for existing well it's the culmination of like not just the character's journey although i think saving i don't know it's such a masterful sleight of hand because what we're expecting is the culmination of the character's journey is going to arrive on that beach. And in a way it does, but it's actually later in the courtroom. There's almost like a fourth act handoff mm. where it's like Jodie Foster's character, Ellie, has not changed, right? Like she's been put through the ringer by everybody, but we see that she's essentially the same person she was when she started out, right? She like believes in science she believes that there are, you know, there's intelligent life out there. Um, she does not believe in religion. She does not believe that things that are unexplainable do exist. Like, there's a rational explanation for everything. And, like, in spite of, you know, falling in love with Palmer Joss, um, <laughs> I have questions about it. They have a really sweet relationship, but there's just not a lot of it. Right. <laughs> there's not much to it. Um, I was like, you guys slept together one time like eight years ago. But he's like um, on the boat in the middle of like the ocean at the end and they have yeah. a quick scene where it's like, he just told you he didn't vote for you like for kind of a really crappy reason. Like it all goes really fast. Yeah. It's yeah. very fast. I, I just, I just want to be the one to go to space first, Murph. <laughs> Like, I understand that he's a symbol. I understand that he's not supposed to be a real person, but, like, maybe he could have been slightly more of a real person. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting that the, that it she really does not change. Like, you know, there isn't the – and if there are moments that I'm missing, I'd love to hear about them. But, you know, ordinarily when we see a character's journey, we see, like, pushing the character by increments. And really it's just, like, here I am. I'm a scientist. I don't have any funding, but I fully believe in this thing. So I will work at it until I cannot anymore. Then I will find more funding. Then I will do it again. And like, you know, then we have Drumlin comes in and takes over and then Drumlin comes in and takes over and then there's another step. And then it's like, it's kind of this, she gets closer and closer and closer to her external goal. But internally, which which in itself is compelling enough, right? We love the character enough that we want to see her reach her external goal. And that's the plot. But what she needs is not really being, like, tested or given to her much throughout most of the movie up until she has that religious experience on the beach. And then in the fourth act, the script is totally flipped, which is so clever and so amazing that that's how the movie ends. Um, but it's... And I think that's why those those last like few courtroom scenes just feel like they're ripping your heart out because you understand how difficult this is for her because instead of 
her beliefs like moving by inches, mm. they she like cements further into them and further into them as the second act goes on up, you know, up until that point where, you know, Palmer asks her if she believes in God and she knows that by answering no, she's not going to get to go. And she still refuses to mm. lie and answer and say that she does. So she's digging in her heels on her position instead of already being changed by that point. And I think it's such an interesting choice and a cool choice um, for a character arc, but it is, it does make it like, I don't know, really unconventional story for that reason. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a bit of KM Weiland's flat character arc, which I think we talked about yeah. recently in the Q and a, uh, which she also refers to as the testing arc, which is, you know, establish mm. a character with a strong belief and then continue to throw things at them that test them harder mm. and harder. Um, I was recently a guest on a podcast, which probably won't come out for a couple months, so I will tell you more about it then. Um, but talking about Captain America and the flat character arc and how like that first movie especially uh, is just him being like, no, 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 this is the thing I believe. This is the way that I choose to be. And then it forces the characters around them to sort of have to adapt to that or or not and then what kind of conflict does that create you know and we very much get that with with her especially as you said in that inquiry scene well and i think the structure you're laying out trisha is kind of a perfect match for what this what her you know journey experience is symbolizing in this movie which is you know this is a well documented thing people have a peak experience of some sort, whether it's just out of nowhere or, you know, spurred on by psychedelics or whatever. It, it's, it's not like an incremental thing. It's a flip. It's like, <laughs> whoa, something happened that I know like in my bones is like true and profound. And yet only, it only happened to me. I can't show you it. It happened once maybe. And I am now forever changed uh, but that's, I can't say more than that because it happened to me and that's, that's that. Um, and, and I think this movie is by having not, by not having her like become more and more faithful or, be, you know, it, it's, it's actually replicating that experience most accurately, you know, hmm. which was like a bolt of lightning experience that shakes, you know, you know, gives you an experience that is utterly profound yet utterly unshareable or unprovable. And that is a flip. That is not a incremental change arc. You know, if you're making a movie about what it feels like to have that experience and the aftermath of, of an experience like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting that it's like, I, I love that this was written by Carl Sagan and I love that it, it is getting yeah. at this, like uh, the book that this is based on that I forgot to reference in the beginning. Um <laughs> Yeah, that it is like doing this. It's somehow like you're saying, Trish, it's this magic trick that's like pitting these two things like religion and science against each other. And then somehow in those last moments is sort of like not that like they don't matter, but like all these things are right. avenues into a shared human experience that we all can have. And there's awe and beauty to be found in all these different avenues and like is that aren't we all you know more alike than different i don't know there's a lot of just beautifulness that comes with this this final thing and and i think because like you're saying brian it it's there is much flat arc stuff that we are so with ellie and her like taking a stand like drumlin the antagonist is just like you hate him he's just 
Yes. He's so unfair. Like, everything Very that happens hateable. to her is so unfair. He's like so hateable, almost over the top with it. Uh, so that it, I think that's another reason why it hits me anyway at the end is I'm like, I'm so like in lockstep with Ellie the whole way, including this crazy 180 that they managed to pull for her at that. Not even 180, but just like a an ability to appreciate things that she wasn't able to before. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Drumlin's almost like a, an evil clone of Crawford and Silence of the Lambs, right? Where it's like so, half mentor, but half antagonist, where it's like Drumlin is more antagonist, Crawford is more mentor, but there's that little bit of like, but I'm the like the older man who gets to decide like what is right for you, you know? So many scenes where he just like steps in yep. and everybody just turns to him. It's just like, I feel like this movie captures that dynamic, like maybe better than any other film I've seen, where it's just... <laughs> It happens over and over again, and it just feels so natural, like it's true to life, you know, right. just the way it happens. When the yeah. camera stays on her and she like it's about to go to like the microphone and then she just like slowly sits back oh, down. You know? Yeah. Um, but talking about, you know, the ideals and stuff, I want to talk about the, uh, you know, the the obviously the iconic uh, beach sequence uh, scene, um, which is I love that the movie keeps it open ended it like it sort of like gives you answers without giving you answers it's like a really nice blend of those two things because a lot of movies that raise a question it's like well it's either going to be this or it's going to be that and either way is going to be annoying and disappointing <laughs> probably right um and i think another mind another movie that came to mind was the abyss where it's sort of like the big climax is like the alien thing wants you to stop fighting each other and be nice so like stop it right you know it's like okay thanks um but but i like that you know the entire theme of this movie obviously is science or or faith and um and what is the answer and it's like we get what we want right we get to actually go unless you're you know young alex um we get to go and like actually meet the aliens right but we don't know who built it Right. Like we th maybe they'll be back someday. So like even the aliens are going, we're not really entirely sure what's going on here, which means other aliens could have built it or God could have built it. Right. Like, you know, it, it allows the movie to sort of let you have your own takeaway um, while uh, sort of so it doesn't come across as preachy. Right. It comes it does this really nice blend of like we're going to give you answers. We're going to give you something you want. But we're going to keep it in this nice gray area that allows like whatever your beliefs are, audience member, you get to kind of take away whatever you want from this. Yeah, I will say. And one thing I do appreciate about this movie and now that I understand what that final scene uh, between Kitts and uh, Angela Bassett means. because mm. <laughs> uh, So that's that final scene where they talk about the 18 hours of static. You know, my kid brain interpreted it as like this guy just hated Ellie so much. He just like wanted to like make her look bad. Uh, and so, and so that's why he didn't want to talk about 18 hours of static. Adult me is like, no, no, no. This is like, so obviously what a government would do if you basically do believe her and do have proof that this machine worked and 
we can make contact with extraterrestrials. You do not tell the public about it. You make a cover story. You sell the public on the cover story. You paint the person who's going to be a truth talker as delusional. And you continue to work behind the scenes on whatever your plans are next to deal with this new uh, reality that you know about. Um, anyway, all that being said, I appreciate that, that scene being in this movie, but also like Ellie never getting she like her having to live with the not knowingness. Mm. So we both get confirmation that her experience was valid. And uh, there's like a, there is a, there's a, there's a corollary in reality to her experience. Like, you know, something did happen, you know, nobody could ever go in her mind and meet her dead father on the beach, but something did happen. So like she's validated there but she never gets to know that. And so when we when we leave end the movie with Ellie, you know, she is a woman now who has to live and kind of come to peace with the idea that like an experience happened to her that is only for her, that people will either believe her or not, and that it has to be enough. And that that and that is, you know, the kind of the lesson she did I think she does need to learn is like these things happen. And that is and it's not invalid. You know, you know, she I think she sees Palmer has a very similar experience. And he talks about early in the movie of looking up at the sky. I forget what he says exactly, but just you know, some similar profound out of nowhere experience. And she immediately goes to like, well, maybe that was kind of a delusional, you know, break or something in that moment. Um, she's now in the position where somebody could look at her and say the same thing. But she knows that that's not necessarily what. It was um, anyway, all that being said, I like that the movie doesn't yeah, it doesn't let her have some validation at the end that lets her like sit back into her like everything is provable science space, but it rather leaves her kind of in this like new open space where she has to kind of just deal with the difficulty of, of that reality. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it has to do with the scope of what the movie is interested in. And again, there's such an intimacy to like everything that happens in the plot is in service of the theme and like the thematic debate. Um, and the thematic debate is what the character is forced to confront or right. It essentially just like give up her certainty about like mm-hmm. the, the character journey is Ellie is dead on sure. The end Ellie is. Not all the way sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is like um, the entire journey, but that in itself is like you know she moves an inch, but obviously she moves a million miles to even to even get there. Um, but I think that you know we talked about Arrival, and there are so many ways that this movie reminds me of Arrival. Watching it now, um, right down to like the saboteur plot, right with Jake Busey's character in this, and there's like mm-hmm. a saboteur in Arrival. Um, and like the way that the world kind of like is, is 
tearing itself apart over this debate that ultimately has nothing to do with the central character, right? Because the central character is facing her own thing, her own like grief, right? In that, in the case of both of these movies about like, well, what do I do with this loss that I'm, I'm dealing with? But when we were discussing Arrival, for as much as we all love that movie, we talked about the stakes and the scope of the of the third act of that movie and how it's like how a little bit the movie feels like it's straining a little bit to connect like and sorry spoilers for arrival but um and Louise's work is like the all the governments are shutting down and they're not talking to each other and that's going to cause a nuclear war if like Louise can't fix this thing um, and then she has to like take the phone call to the ambassador at the gala in the future and like tell him the thing his dead wife said. Um, and it just feels it, like it's, it's not as elegant as it could be because it feels like more of a big sci-fi. We have to like make this about the fate of the world, um, or like create a ticking, you know, like a ticking clock to create some kind of like urgency or stakes or something. And contact is not interested in doing that. Like, the even the the sort of big inquiry at the end is not really about like the stakes of the world right it's not about like well ne- the machine now is like <laughs> melting down and there's like <laughs> it's not even like she's gonna go like, to jail or like yeah there's like very right yeah, like, no, yeah it's just yeah. like there's so many different ways they could have like made it or artificially made some kind of, you know, stakes or urgency or something about when she needs to answer the question definitively or why she needs to answer the question definitively, like right now and it has to happen. And instead there's this sort of um, quiet, like I said, like a quiet power to where the film concludes of like, Ellie just admitted she didn't know um and wasn't all the way sure and that maybe there wasn't an answer for the thing that she experienced um and it leaves her in a place where i was so glad to see like it's not like she became a different person she's instead right. she's back at the very large array mm-hmm. <laughs> like talking to some school kids and and she's just still on her quest right she's still she's going to keep listening um and keep like seeking and I, I just don't know. Would movies be allowed to be like this anymore <laughs> where it's like they didn't make it about the universe or like, you know, some right. world ending stakes or something. I just really love that this is allowed to be about Ellie. Right. And, and like you said, the shift being small, like yeah. she's she's not changed in every way. No. She just has that little bit of like understanding of what it feels like to not be 100 percent sure of what an experience was. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. yeah. On that. It, yeah. It. it it somehow is, yeah, the stakes are the theme, are the, the thematic discussion. And as we're saying, the film does a, a soft enough touch with it that I think even as we're talking, we're seeing that there's lots of ways that people can see themselves and like read it like in a way that is, is meaningful to them, which I think is also what I kind of see as part of the theme. Uh, mm. if we're getting kind of mm. inception here. Uh, but yeah, that like... <laughs> Ultimately, because I think it's really important that after that, that inquiry, she goes outside and sees all these people that are moved by her story. And that by the in the last scene, we see her like teaching children and like telling the story because like what matters is like what you do with this experience and how you share it with Mm -hmm. people and like science matters. But also 
for humans, just humanness matters. And so like being able to tell a story or inspire people, like that's the thing that matters to humans. And that, that inspiration uh, can come from many different places. Cool. Okay. Well, why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from contact? Alex, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, just going back to that hearing at the end, uh, it's just such a great example of how this script really, it's, it's a, it's a long movie. It's a two and a half hour movie. And, you know, it gets up to what feels like a slow start when you first are watching it. Like where, like, where's the alien signal? I've watched the trailer. Like, why are they just hanging out here, uh, with Matthew McConaughey? But every single conversation that they have about science and faith, every single point Jodie Foster makes throughout the film on that topic gets thrown back at her in this inquiry scene. And, and so it just it's just such a brilliant, tight script in that way in which no scene is really wasted because it it's all brought home in this finale. And yeah, the the James Woods character like just uses every single argument that she has ever made against Palmer against her and and she has to confront that and it's just it's just brilliant setup and payoff uh with with all that so just I I love how clean and tight you know the the finale of this movie feels it's just like yes you you set up exactly the right questions early on that she would ask to be now be asked of her when she's in the hot seat and and she has to like we've been talking about grapple with the idea of both you're right to ask that question i would ask it too and i don't know and like that is that is the ultimate crisis change moment for her yeah yeah no it is it's super tight and and some of them are set up like super early and like like the very but the way they're executed you remember it right when when right. kids yeah. brings up have you ever heard of occam's razor you're like oh like i yeah. do <laughs> yeah because you said that earlier uh i also feel like that my understanding is that's a very reductive like explanation of occam's razor that is like mm-hmm. pissed off many version. scientists um but yeah it, it's it's very well constructed and well executed so that it all comes home as you're saying Brian, what's your lesson? Uh, my lesson is about a different crisis inquiry scene, uh, which is the earlier one where they're questioning her about whether or not she should be the one to go in the first place. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I was punched in the gut so hard when uh, when Palmer asks, you know, basically straight up, do you believe in God? And she has to and she has to give her answer. Um, and it just made me think about characters beliefs, you know, like it, it's obvious to say like you should know what motivates your characters, right? Like that's, that's the root of basically all conflict and drama is this character thinks this thing, this character thinks something else drama. Um, But I was thinking about, you know, how hard this movie goes into not just their motivations in the immediate, but like their core, core, core beliefs. Um, And I, I think that because, you know, and he gives his different reason later, you know, uh, about why he said it or whatever. But you buy it like it's the perfect kind of surprise, a perfect kind of twist where you go. I didn't see that coming, but that makes perfect sense. I believe he would do that because of everything we've established with with what he what he believes, you know. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I just think like it's a good lesson no matter what kind of script you're writing. Uh, it's not just like I said, it's not just 
well, I'm the cop and I have to do the good thing and you're this person, I have to do that thing, whatever. It's like, no, no, this is what I believe about the world. It doesn't have to have anything to do with religion or anything like that. Just like, what are your like strong, strongly held beliefs? Why do your characters have those beliefs? And what kind of stuff does that cause? What kind of conflict does that cause? Um, and I think if you do that work beyond maybe what's in your current outline of a script or in your current script, you can find new ways to you can kind of breathe new life into your story because you're you're realizing like man because they feel this way I, I love just thinking about even if i'm playing like a video game i'm like like an rpg where i get to kind of author the character a little i'm like i decided this character did this so therefore she believes that therefore she would make this choice that i wouldn't actually make you know and, and i really love kind of getting really really deep into the root uh, belief system of a character yeah one thing I also love about just the consequences of Palmer's actions is I feel like in a meta way, the script is, like you said, Trisha, kind of using him as a symbol or not like yeah. a real person even, but just kind of like representing fate or chance or like like good luck even. Because, of course, the fact that he doesn't vote for her means that she survives the bombing. The compass he gives back to her saves maybe saves her life in the ship when she she shouldn't be in the chair because I wasn't part of the design. Uh, and so I think there's something about his character where like his interference in her life, which seems bad, is almost a symbol for maybe when bad things happen, you don't realize like the the net benefit ultimately what's going to come mm -hmm. in the future and him representing faith and kind of a trust in kind of chance and reality it just all it just all feels so good <laughs> very tight script yeah i mean or the way that i was kind of seeing him this time around was like almost like a guardian angel right because he right. keeps it's like so convenient all the time where it's like right. i met you in you know i met you at that um observatory and then like now here you are it's been four years and you're famous and like now you're on the selection committee and now you're in the same room in the white house as i am um and like when he walks in at the very end when they're like in japan or whatever they're on a boat in the middle of nowhere like, what <laughs> like, and they let and you're back now you're right. also this movie has so many scenes where a character steps in out of frame and says something like witty and then the a character who was in frame res response and then they're like hi i'm carson john whatever like, like then they introduce themselves like so many characters are introduced by like stepping into frame with some witticism and then like <laughs> delivering their name you know four lines later very 90s yeah good screenwriting brian <laughs> but yeah I, I don't know i was kind of seeing like there there are these really interesting um i don't know i was gonna say like coincidences and like you know so the sr hatting character feels like a deus ex machina like multiple times mm -hmm. where it's like everything's lost oh by the way here's a guy that's literally in orbit that's gonna like what you know send you to the other um accelerator whatever that thing is the other Second machine <laughs> yeah thank you um and then like here he is. He's here to, you know, he's watching from a camera and he's going to write you a check for all the money um, that feels like he's godlike, right? Mm. That he's or like some he's kind of puppet master. Space. There's some yeah. kind of design to this whole thing. And so, again, the movie, even with its like 
subplot uh, characters or, you know, it's, it's supporting characters feels like it's still like engaging with the theme where it's like, is somebody watching over her this whole time? Is, mm. is there somebody, you know, is there somebody with a plan somewhere? It, it feels all a little convenient. Is it just like the filmmaker gods, like that this is all happening or, you know, again, it, there's, there's this incredibly sharp focus on Ellie and like this entire story being like with her at the center. And it just feels like fascinatingly well orchestrated. Yeah. But again, always in yeah, service of, as you're saying, Ellie and the theme and the values, as you were saying, Brian, of like, it, it is when, when set up properly, it's so much more interesting to watch you know, as opposed to like, oh, Jeff is really upset at Carol and they're going to yell at each other if it's like, no, faith and science are duking it out on screen. Like there's so much right. more power behind that if you can get that symbolic association well established. Trisha, what's your lesson? Yeah, um, I just have a brief lesson about like how to make a movie that doesn't feel preachy. And even though the themes are like absolutely in your face, uh, we've talked about how they don't necessarily like resolve in like a hard one way or the other kind of thing. Like if you're a religious person, I don't think you'd feel alienated by this movie necessarily. Right. Um, although there's that beautiful moment at the end where all the like people of faith are like Ellie, Ellie. And they ask Palmer what he thinks. And he says, I, for one believer. Yeah. When the thematic debate is at the core of the characters, I think that there's a way, you know, and, and again, we understand why this is personal to Ellie like, we understand the way that she was raised. We understand the loss that she experienced. Um, the movie takes great care to to explain to us why she's so desperate to explore the universe and listen for extra, um, you know, extraterrestrial life, that it's it becomes about Ellie. It doesn't necessarily become about the movie telling you what you should think. Um, and even though the debate is in the abstract and we can all find ourselves within it, it's not like, hey, people of the world, you're dumb if you think this one way about things. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that about the movie. But the other way that this doesn't feel preachy is that it's operating, the characters are operating in a political sphere for like a good chunk of the second half. Um, and it it somehow manages, um, even though, again, so this is 1997 and the movie... Let's us know it's actually 1997 because right. here's all the talk show hosts and <laughs> mm. that you would actually have known. President and here's Clinton. <laughs> President Clinton and like here's what's actually happening in the world. So the movie grounds itself in a very specific um, political and social context. Um, and yet, you know, it doesn't feel like it's being preachy about the specific things that are happening in that political and social context. So one of the things that I was noticing, this reminded me a lot of Silence of the Lambs in that there's some very obvious sexism happening um, that Dr. Airway is experiencing, but no one's like, you can't do that because you're a woman. Like <laughs> the movie isn't interested in like wading into that aspect of the sociopolitical context. It's just allowing that her reality to be what it is. Um, and I like appreciate that. It's, it's how movies like this get a foothold and they don't feel like that sort of smarmy 
preachy, like feminist, like I'm going to take over from this white man who has been taking all the credit for all of my discoveries because I am a boss woman scientist. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> Thank God this movie isn't that. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, it just, it just lets the character be who she is. Um, and she is dealing with discrimination, but it's, it, that isn't like the focus of the, the story. Um, and there are a few other subtle moments like this as well, where like, again, we kind of understand the, the different like political agendas of people that are pushing and pulling her in different directions. Um, we understand like, this is the administration in the white house. This is who's doing that. This is that. Um, but again, the focus of the movie is not on those things. And so even while some of that, like, you know, here's the, here's the talk show host making the joke about this. Here's the president doing this thing, um, is in the movie. I don't feel like, and, and they, they are kind of, those moments are a little eye rolling now because it's just like, wow, 1997 was a time. Um, like the Spice Girls are in this movie, as we mentioned earlier, but they, they don't feel like they've invalidated what the movie is about or that if the sociopolitical circumstances or context of the movie is different now that we still, that the themes become irrelevant. And I think that's how to avoid making your movie feel preachy. It's like, you can't preach to your exact audience that won't be able to engage with what you're talking about <laughs> in, a, in a couple of years. You know, if you find something that's deeply human, then make it about that. Yeah. Yeah. There is something kind of interesting in that, like in not naming the kind of unfairness that is being done to her, there mm -hmm. is room for the audience to bring their own experience into that unfairness. Everyone has experienced something unfair happening to them and the motivations in this movie as we're talking about can be and are from lots of different angles uh and so they're not absent but they're also not named as this and thus categorizing it into a certain lane that then is maybe distancing from people that are like oh i don't i've never driven in that lane so i can think about that over there as an right. other versus like that is unfair and i feel that and that can come from lots of different places and then, yeah, and just one other moment is the moment that Matthew McConaughey's character brings uh, William Fickner's character into the room at the end, right? Where he has been kind of like discluded and overlooked in this whole process. And then he's invited back into that because it's his, you know, it's his story too. It's his discovery too. And he's remembered at the end as well. He's the one that hears her. Yeah. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that like, I was thinking as soon as he came on screen, I was like, oh, it's William Fickner. It's like, you know, he kind of looks like Christopher Reeve. And then he introduced himself as Kent Clark. Kent Clark, <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, that's that's weird what my brain just did. <laughs> yep. Yeah, my lesson is about perspective. I love to think about perspective and the power that can come from the perspective from which you tell uh, your story. And so the that first launch sequence when they're doing the test and Drumlin is up on the machine and you know the terrorist attack happens is told essentially entirely from the control room from ellie's perspective and it's so effective uh you you never are confused about what's going on right there's all this oh they're all wearing cameras and there happens to be a remote control camera in that hallway that she can move around and zoom you pull back on the controller to turn it and you pull back on it to zoom it's just it knows whatever camera knows what you want to do you just pull on the lever <laughs> um 
but it yeah it it manages to set up the how the kind of energy that might be happening if you are watching it on tv right watching it from the control room of like there's this amazing event that's a rocket launch that's going to happen over there uh and because you see it all through her eyes you are experiencing her emotional journey through that which is like sad that she's not a part of it but excited but oh no and then the devastation of all of this work just went up in smoke and uh yeah it's just it's devastating and excellently executed and it also then sets up the second launch because the second time we're still with ellie but now she's on it and we get to feel it and see the same events again but with a totally different emotionality because the first time was shot from this perspective the second time is this other perspective uh so i just think it's it's just really smart and really effective and accomplishes multiple things at once uh and i just love both of those sequences like to death they're just so so good zemeckis when zemeckis hits zemeckis hits i I, I also like that this movie is like it sort of is doing both things where it's being a contemplative kind of hard sci-fi movie, but it's also just being kind of a popcorn movie. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's like has this mood and it's not afraid to be like, you're going to just sit here for four minutes while this intense moody thing happens. But also like, here's some kooky characters and we're kind of going on an adventure. And, and it, I really like that it strikes that balance. Yeah. It's a movie. Used to have yeah, movies. even like the journey wormhole sequence yeah. is yeah. like a great blend of like 2001 a space odyssey but also like popcorn movie like right. very accessible it's just a really it's a very inviting uh com- contemplative sci-fi yeah. yeah which is a difficult thing to accomplish yeah good movie i like it uh we're gonna talk about what else we've been watching but first our next episode if you want to get prepared listeners is Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. If you have not seen it, go out and see it because uh, we're going to talk about it and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, okay. What have you guys been watching recently? Trisha, what have you been watching recently? Yeah. So I am so excited. A movie that I watched actually back in January at Sundance is coming out. And so you guys will be able to see it by the time this episode is released. I believe it's actually being released on the same day that this episode is dropping. Um, It's this movie called Emergency. Um, And it's a movie about these college students and they, like, it's these three roommates. um, They're all, like, young men of color. They go to, like, a university and it's, like, they're right at the end um, of their school year. And they're supposed to be going on this, like, epic party um, tour where they're going to go to like seven frat houses kind of thing and go to like seven parties. And it's supposed to be kind of like a one wild night movie. Um, but their night gets derailed very early on when, um, this happens in like the first few minutes of the movie, but, uh, so it's only a tiny, tiny spoiler, but, um, a white girl is, they find a white girl passed out in their house. Um, they're like going back to their house to change and then they like go in there and then there's like a white girl that's passed out on the floor. Um, and so they just, they're like left with the decision of like, do we call the cops or not? 
Um, cause like the look of this situation is really, really, really bad. Um, and it's kind of like goes from there and spirals like, and it, and it is a one wild night movie. It's really funny. It's also really dramatic, um, and just tense, like really tense. Uh, I was on the actual edge of my couch when I was watching this uh, at virtual Sundance this year and just laughing at stuff that I'm like, Oh God, this is not funny, but I'm, it's so bad. Like, uh, anyway, really, um, it's a, it's a hell of an experience. So strongly recommend this movie. It's directed by Carrie Williams and written by Katie Davila. It's called emergency and it's coming out on your prime. Nice. That's really interesting. Makes me want to watch get out. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Alex, what have you been watching? So I've been watching uh, another Hulu limited series uh, called The Girl from Plainville, uh, which is really interesting and like pretty distressing. It's it's uh, it's, it stars Elle Fanning. She's great as Michelle Carter, who is this is a true story of this like unprecedented uh, legal case uh, in which, you know, a teenage boy committed suicide and they found you know, dozens of text messages from his kind of girlfriend at the time, basically like encouraging him to do so. So very dark material, um, but really fascinating character study. Um, it kind of in the same vein as you know, the dropout doing a character study of uh, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Uh, this is a much less fun <laughs> character study, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting show. It probably is, doesn't need to be eight episodes. It's kind of drawn out. You, I do feel uncomfortable because it's like, these are all real people. And this only happened like seven years ago or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, yeah, it's just a really interesting uh, just uh, example of the kind of stuff that does come out a lot right now. Like we have so many true crime shows. And so and there's a true crime show, dramatic adaptations like The Staircase was a documentary series that is now an, H- an HBO limited series um, about real people and a real death. Uh, so yeah, just just fascinating to see top tier actors doing a great job uh, portraying uh, real people that are still alive and events that happened just like six years ago. Um, don't know how I feel about it, but it's definitely interesting. So. The Girl from Plainville, if you uh, are, are interested, uh, maybe worth checking out. Uh, definitely very dark, uh, distressing content. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> yes. Elle Fanning was just on Conan's podcast and she's delightful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, she's great. She's yeah. she's really fascinating to watch in the show because she mm. is. I mean, what, a, what a challenge <laughs> to play yeah. this character. Yeah. Brian, what have you been watching? Uh, well, Contact seemed like a good episode to recommend Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Uh, which is a um, a show from a couple years ago uh, that I just started watching that and finished watching recently. Um, it's a Channel Four from the UK, but also Amazon Studios is so sort of a hybrid American British show, uh, very much a Black Mirror clone. Like it, it's not pretending not to be, uh, but the the. I don't know if gimmick's the right word. The novelty is that it's reimagining several Philip K. Dick stories as hour-long episodes. Um, and there are, I think, 10 in all. Um, and some are really good. Some are kind of dopey. Some are kind of a mixed bag. But all in all, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think it's worth it's worth sifting through some of the goofiness to get to the stuff that's really, like, memorable and, like, wow, that that really makes you think or that just, like, was really a fascinating premise. Um, and the cast is awesome and really makes it worth watching. It's 
Brian Cranston, Vera Farmiga, Greg Kinnear, Steve Buscemi, Timothy Spall, Anna Paquin, Terrence Howard, Richard Madden, Maura Tierney, Janelle Monet, Juno Temple, Benedict Wong. There are more. Uh, I mean, everyone's in one episode, you know, yeah. but like still they they get to like really carry the episode. And a lot of them like uh, the I think it's the last episode on at least on the Amazon Prime order of them because it was different uh where vera farmiga is one of the main characters and she's awesome in it and it's like that was one of my favorite episodes so uh yeah philip k dick's electric dreams it's on amazon uh and you can check it out nice you said anna paquin so i'm gonna hijack us for the next 30 seconds did you guys ever because there were two different vhs's that i had that had the trailer for the same movie and on one, it got to the end and it was Anna Paquin and it was like Flying Wild with Anna Paquin. And then there was another trailer for the exact same movie and then it was Fly Away Home. Fly Away Home. And my oh. brain, yeah. like my child brain didn't <laughs> understand. Like I thought I was going crazy. And then later I just they changed the title changed. between trailers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the Goose movie. Exactly. <laughs> the Goose movie. I think I saw that. I saw those neurons in my brain. What else am I going to do with them? So now I've executed that. Perfect. What have you been watching, Michael? So I watched The Lives of Others. uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, I had not seen before. So it's a 2006 German film. Uh, So good. It's Yeah, it's like a spy film. 1984, East Berlin. You're following this, like, uh, yeah, secret police captain whose job is to spy on the people of East Berlin. Um, and he starts spying on this playwright and kind of gets obsessed with this playwright's life. And, uh, you know, is, is this person working on content that is not allowed in this place? And what is the, this captain's responsibility? And so it's, it just, it gets into like obsession and censorship and what is right and what does, uh, taking action look like i don't know it's just like it's really fascinating and it feels like it unfolds uh like very slowly and methodically but very compelling like every moment every turn how things escalate and the different threads interweave and become more complicated is just it's just what you want from drama from good drama uh so yeah i i loved it and thought it was really, really good so highly recommend the lives of others yes yes uh awesome okay well this has been our conversation about contact i'm yeah i'm glad we finally got to talk about it i feel like this is one of the ones i've been wanting to talk about since forever yeah and it did not disappoint one of michael's pet yeah. movies <laughs> yeah Yeah, we want to say a thank you, as always, to the patrons for making the show possible. If you want to help us make more episodes, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. And thank you to our editors, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayoros. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you next week for everything, everywhere, all at once. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.